1: women deserve the best, like women are 50% of the world's population. And, you know, now is a a time we're talking about this a lot, but I've always believed that women should have access to the best things like everybody else does.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, the podcast with and for those looking to push the conversation forward on issues of diversity, equity and inclusion in the workplace. I'm your co-host Rob Hadley. And I am joined by my co-host, Nadia Butt. Nadia, how are you?
0: I'm doing well, Rob. How are you today?
3: I'm doing fantastic. So great to be with you again.
0: So good to be with you. You know what I was thinking, actually, Rob? Like, I think we should remind our listeners of, like, who we are and why we're here. I know you already kind of gave why we're here, but maybe who we are. (laughs) So, Rob, who are you? What do
3: you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Complicated question. <laughs> How much time do we have? So I'm Rob Hadley. I'm a people and culture strategist. I focus on DEI and employee experience analytics. I work with Fortune 500 companies as well as with early stage ventures uh, and, and really excited about using data and analytics in order to help companies develop strategies and build inclusive workplaces. And Nadia, tell us about yourself as well.
0: Um, I'm Nadia Butt, and I'm a belonging strategist, uh, really focused on leadership development, leadership behaviors, and really embedding inclusive behaviors with that. So, focus on strategy, change management, implementation of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion goals within an organization. Awesome. Um, so, that's a little bit about my background. Um, so, why are we here today? What are we talking about? What's our topic?
3: Well... Nani, we're at a bit of a transition point. We've been focusing on startups and venture capital, and we started with idea formation. Mm -hmm. Then we moved on to talking to founders and founding teams. We were talking about inclusive behaviors amongst the founding teams and also diversity among the founding teams. And now we're at a bit of a transition point. So if you're lucky enough to have a great idea and you find the right person or persons to work with, or even if... In the case of our guest today, you're going it alone. It's now time to build a product. You have an idea uh, that you and your team are excited about. You want to build a fast-growing business, uh, and you're going to need money in order to scale it. But before you burn too much of your own money or, uh, better yet, invest your money, you need traction. And for most startups, that traction comes from building and launching a simplified version of their product or some sort of a prototype. Mm -hmm. And as we move into our episodes on building products, we'll see that this is where the fun really starts. So the way I think of it is anyone can have an idea, anyone can grab a person they met in an MBA class or someone they met in a founder speed dating event, but you're only really a founder when you start to develop and build a product and you get someone to pay for it. And so Mm. much of getting the product right is building something that speaks to the customer, especially when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Something that makes someone feel seen and heard enough that they're willing to make a purchase. And those that get to this point are deeply in tune with their potential customers and the problems that they're solving on their behalf. So whether they know it or not, the founders that we're, that we're going to talk to, that get product market fit right, they're often using a lot of the tools that you need in order to be an inclusive leader. So next up on our journey, mm-hmm. we're developing, branding, and marketing products inclusively.
0: Yes, and today joining us is Nisha Dearborn, the founder and CEO of Fresh Chemistry. Skincare has always been a part of Nisha's life from childhood into adulthood. She was an intern at the S.A. Lauder companies and then went on to um, a career of managing household brand names such as Aveeno and Tylenol and Listerine. And in 2016, Nisha set out to solve the problem of women using weak and stale kind of overprocessed skincare because she does believe that women deserve the best and their fresh chemistry was born. Um, So welcome, Nisha. We are so excited to have you here with us today. Hi, and thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, Nisha, I'm really excited to have you here uh, with us today too. I guess the very first question I have is, can you kind of introduce what Fresh Chemistry is and how you came about the product to our listeners? Absolutely. So Fresh Chemistry is a revolutionary skincare
1: brand that actually gives you Freshly activated skincare, which means it's more potent and it is more pure and cleaner than the other skincare out there because you activate it yourself. So let me give you a little background, as you said, Nadia, will tell you kind of how I got here. People say that I was born in a skincare handbasket because for me, my mom is a retired dermatologist. Oh, So I've been around skincare my whole life. I spent my summers as a kid working in her office. I would go to the conferences with her. And then I turned that into a career because it became a passion. So so I, I worked in the industry, but most of the time in beauty. And then we made a move up to Maine a few years ago. And people up here are very healthy. They're, people are in their 70s and 80s, and they're running and biking and skiing. And so when we moved up here, I made a conscious effort to just make my life more healthy. And that included starting to think about wellness, right? That is a part of all of our lives now and thinking about what ingredients I was putting in my food and for my family's food and meal planning. And I started to realize that when you meal plan based on products that are in your pantry, so if you say, I'm going to make a pasta meal, then naturally the meals that you make are not as healthy as if you meal plan based on the products in your fridge or on your counter, because those are vegetables, that's produce. You know, those things are better for your body. And that's when it hit me that coming from the beauty industry, we make products like all the products that are in your pantry. They are made in huge vats in huge manufacturing sites. They are made to sit on a shelf for two years. And they do sit on a shelf for months before you get it because it sits in warehouses, it sits on trucks, retailer shelves. And the entire time, just like your food, the best ingredients in skincare is breaking down. Uh. So- People can put in fresh ingredients. So think about your vitamins, your antioxidants, just like your food. They put in great ingredients, but it is activated at the time it's made. And then it's sitting on a shelf or on a truck for months. So you're getting it when it's weak and stale. And once I saw this problem and realized it, I kind of couldn't unsee it. And I thought women deserve the best. I fundamentally yep. believe that in in life as a whole and I feel like now is our time to claim that for ourselves. So I thought, you know, women are out there buying jars of product that isn't working and much of the reason is because a lot of it is old and stale. Right. So how can I deliver better fresher products? So Fresh Chemistry packages the active ingredients separately to keep them potent and pure. And when you get the product, You add in the active ingredients. You shake to activate it yourself. So you get the product on day zero as opposed to day 300, which makes it more potent, more pure, and much cleaner because you don't need the load of preservatives to keep it sitting on a shelf for two years. So for Fresh Chemistry, all our preservatives are plant and vegetable based. And so it just delivers a better product with a better result, ultimately giving women what I believe they deserve, which is the best.
3: Nisha, before uh, Nadia and I just continue to ask questions about our own skincare <laughs> regimens and, and and how you can help us. Uh, one reason I really wanted to have you on this podcast and talk about your products in relation to diversity, equity, inclusion, right? Because I think it's just a, such a great place to, to start and such a great product to think about this and about the products, about the messaging and the marketing around uh, your product. And You know, because if you think about the skin, so much of our identity comes from our skin, right? So I'm I'm not even just speaking about our racial and ethnic identities, right? Which is what we kind of often jump to, but also our age, right? And and how we feel about ourselves comes through in in how we take care of our skin, right? So how do you think about that connection, like as a marketer, as a a product developer?
1: Yeah, I think about it a lot. What is important to me is about making women feel more empowered to make better decisions for themselves. And when you think, like you said, about people's skin being such a key part of their identity, that's why a business like this gets me up in the morning and continuing to work on this. Because it's not just about a cosmetic change to someone's lipstick color, which, you know, I think that lipstick business is great. But this is about the health of your skin. So there is a health component, a wellness component. But like you said, it is about how you feel and how you pun intended, face the world, is through your skin and how you show up every day. And so when people feel healthier, when they feel like they are putting their best face forward, they also feel better about themselves and better about the day. So I think there is a distinct connection there. And I think what really makes me even more motivated is the reality that a lot of women are buying substandard products today. What I'm really passionate about is about empowering women and giving women information and tools to make better decisions for themselves. And so this is in skincare and making sure that it's more than just the, how their skin looks. Uh, It is about them feeling empowered with the right information and tools Mm -hmm. to make the right decision for themselves.
3: Yeah, I have a a follow-up on that. So like the language and the positioning that you use, it's not you need to look younger or more attractive it's it's really about you deserve what you deserve right is that a choice that you made how did you get there as you built as you iterated on what the product should look like and what the and what the brand should be
1: yeah i think that and rob you've known me for a few years now this is something that i've always been passionate about i always believe i don't even be, i question why we still have to say this but i believe Women deserve the best. Like, I, it's just a women are 50% of the world's population. And I think it is, inter, you know, now is a, a time we're talking about this a lot. But I've always believed that women should have, you know, access to the best things like everybody else does. So when I saw this problem of, wow, we're really using weak, stale skincare, and mm-hmm. the majority purchasers of skincare are women. So this is a problem that affects women. And sometimes in the industry, even women being part of the problem women being in the skincare industry and perpetuating these um mistruths if mm-hmm. you will
0: about how what you need to put on your skin and how to make yourself look right better. like the information so, that's out there on right misconception misconceptions so- about what people should use or shouldn't use i mean i can't even imagine like i get so many ads all the time about skincare makeup whatever it is but I don't know what's good or what's not, it's, right? It's usually by like referral or someone recommended a product or, or whatnot. And Nadia, that is what every woman
1: has told me either outright like you have or have whispered to me as I was going through the process of starting this product line. Because whether they looked extremely put together or they looked like they had never tried skincare before, they all said, I really don't know what I'm doing. Like I've never been told and it's very confusing. I'm very overwhelmed. And so, you know, back to the idea of women deserve it, you kind of realize like if as a woman, when you hear all these people saying it, and I was fortunate that I grew up with a mom who's a dermatologist. Mm. So I knew the fundamentals of how skin works and what you should and shouldn't use long before I went to work in the industry. One of the reasons I went to work in the industry is because I loved it and it was fascinating. But I've always been that girlfriend among my friends where people say, hey, I really have no idea. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? So when I realized women don't know and this is happening in other industries too right this is happening in the financial industry this is happening with cars and all these things that like women for whatever reason aren't as comfortable with how things work we are now providing solutions for hey let me just tell you and so you can make better decisions for yourself and so the idea of women deserve this you deserve this is really my motivating reason for doing this
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Nisha, I'd love to learn a little bit more about like your background and upbringing or even like your identity and if that played any part into becoming an entrepreneur. And even just like as you, you know, expand or build your business, did any of that consideration of your background and your upbringing go into your product development?
1: That's a really interesting question. I would say yes and no. So it's funny. I'm Indian American. My parent, I'm first generation American. My parents uh, immigrated here in the early 70s when the doors were open to a lot of uh, immigrants, particularly of certain jobs that they needed to bring into this country. So that's when my, my parents came. So I would say as an Indian American, no, being an entrepreneur was not in the list of choices. Yeah. <laughs> It,
0: right. my you process, know, you America, know, and I totally get it. South Asian parents are like, "No, you're gonna be a doctor, engineer, or lawyer."
1: <laughs> exactly, and uh, and really, it was the first choice uh, for my parents. I think my, my parents are both doctors, okay. so that was their uh, choice. I think, but I bucked the trend. I went the business route. They were very proud. They were very encouraging. But staying on the corporate ladder would definitely, you know, be what my parents are most comfortable with. So my upbringing did not lend itself to. Jumping over to start my own skincare business. Um, But on the flip side, you know, what really did influence it was my parents grew up in a really unique part of the world. They grew up in Southern India, in a place where a lot of people would look at that area as a developing country, you know, not really, uh, you know, there's definitely poverty. There's definitely a lot of challenges. And you would never think that. It was a very unique culture that women were educated equally to men from childhood and have been for generations upon generations. So if you think about our country, like you think that sounds normal because right now, you know, women and women are actually, I think, um holding more degrees, right. more of the graduating class than men. But that hasn't always been the case, right? So many of our peers in this country's grandmothers didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, yet maybe not a lot, you know, women weren't even it, allowed to be in co-ed situations in uh, higher education so where my parents are from that meant that my dad in his medical school his professors were women Mm. right biochemistry professors they were already practicing doctors and then my dad married a doctor so when he raised me his mental approach to women equality was just part of his upbringing and he raised my sister and I with that approach like you have great strengths you can do anything you Mm want go out into the world and so that's my mom was a doctor that i saw her and her intelligence and her running her own business so i went out into the world it was when i went into the world that i realized that's not how the world works Mm. yeah because not every other man was raised like my dad right and so that's when i realized that you know i have this passion for empowering women because i think if we have more cultures and societies where women are educated where women are empowered it affects not just the women it obviously affects the men research shows it affects the whole community society it affects the whole society and so you know me going out to solve this was partially you know being the change i want to see in the world Mm -hmm. right so okay well let me go as a woman try to start a business, try to grow a business. Let me try to do the be empowered myself so I can then have a platform to empower other women. And that's also how, you know, the idea of making sure fresh, I believe that women deserve the Mm -hmm. best in skincare, fresh is best, Mm -hmm. communicating that to people, um, always through empowering messages, because at the end of the day, you know, my goal is to empower women. And I think that came from my upbringing and how my parents raised me, how my dad in particularly influenced um, my thoughts on what a woman could be and do. And so that has really trickled through to the ethos of this business.
3: Yeah. And I think uh, so, so many great points there. Um, I, I did want to talk about, uh, so let's talk about the product. Let's go, let's go back to the product and then you about your story uh, and how you developed the product. I mean, I, so tell me about that, that first iteration, you're, you're designing the product, you're testing, you're trying to figure out what's, what's the right, I mean, and and you have two, two main products, I I believe. So how you arrived at that, how you found like the best formulation, just walk me through that iteration and that, that kind of back and forth with your chemists, with customers and, and, and all the rest.
1: Absolutely. So once I thought of this idea, why can't we give better products to women? Why can't there be fresh ingredients? Why can't we do this differently? Because I was thinking, you know, I, Blue Apron and all those types of examples are now disrupting an industry where they're sending me things to my house where I can make a fresh meal. Like, why can't this happen in skincare? Mm-hmm. So I reached out to chemists, formulators, raw material suppliers who I knew through my network from working at Johnson and Johnson. So there were people who had been doing this for twenty years, um, were no longer working at J and J, but were starting their own businesses to focus on this. And I said to the chemist you know, wouldn't it make sense if we could deliver raw materials, basically the best active ingredients to a woman in her home, and then she activates it, wouldn't it be cleaner, better, stronger? And they said, absolutely it would. But we go through this process in making products that you can't expect a woman to do in her bathroom. You know, we have these huge fats and we have to add the right ingredients at the right temperature at the right time and mix it. And that's just not something that is possible in her bathroom. And so I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're telling me that the science will take care of itself. Because I know from years of being in product development, that finding something that really works is very Mm -hmm. hard, right? So discovery of efficacious uh, ingredients is is very hard. And there's a lot of R&D that goes behind it. I was like, you're telling me just by delivering these in a different way, we will have great products. You're Now saying the only challenge is an assembly challenge. And he said, yeah, I guess I am. I said, okay, great. Well, let's just work on the assembly challenge. So we just focused all of our R&D time, if you will, on how to make something that would be easily pour, shake, apply, Mm -hmm. which is what it is now in her bathroom. It's super user-friendly. Yeah. And what was super fun about that was I said, so you're saying I can go pick the best ingredients out there and it will just work better because of the way we're delivering it. And he said, yes. And so I got to pick from, you know, the world was my oyster where we got to go handpick the best ingredients, made sure they were the right pH, make sure they were the right molecular size, make sure everything was going to be what I wanted. And then we just had to work on how to make it easily pourable. Um, it was actually a, a very different R&D challenge than, you know, I was used to in my corporate life. But we made a first iteration, uh, went back and forth a couple of times. I was always trying it myself. And I still remember the one day when I was getting out of the shower, going to my closet, and I passed by my sink and mirror. And I did a double take of my own face. And I said, Whoa. oh, wow, your skin looks good. You know, yeah, like, you know, so cool. when you kind of catch yourself and you look well, like at a good yeah, hair day, right? you notice that all the
0: time. So, you know.
3: if, if we lose, if we lose <laughs> Nadia at this point, it's just because she's on your website ordering products. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm already
0: on it. Are you kidding me? I'm, I can't wait to ask I, her, like, how to get, how, yeah, where do we go to get this? <laughs> so I did, a, I did
1: a double take and I was like, oh, my complexion's looking mm-hmm. good. And I thought, like, what, you know, what am I been using? And all of a sudden I realized the only thing different that I had done was I was trying out a new lab sample for my lab. And I was like, oh, I was like, now I've got to make this because I've i had access to great products since I was a kid because my mom was a dermatologist. And then working in the industry, you get a lot of free things thrown at you. And you learn that most of them don't make a difference on your face. And so when you actually see a difference, it's something you will always stick with. Yeah. So um, that's what really motivated me to say, let's go with this formula. I tested it with uh, consumers, got some feedback on what was working, what wasn't. Um, I was It was tested under a different brand name, prototypes, and so got some feedback there. And then um, we launched. So what we launched with the two products, one's Glow Getter. It's a brightening serum based with vitamin C. Vitamin C is known to be an incredible ingredient in the industry, but so hard to give to you when it's still actually active. The other is called Wrinkle Release. It's a peptide serum focused on more of the fine lines and wrinkles, has amazing ingredients in it as well. Um, The reason why I launched with those two Mm -hmm. is because I know that those are the first signs that you start to see your skin, um, see in your skin, see how it changes. So one of the first things women see, sometimes people see it in their 20s, sometimes 30s, sometimes you can be blessed to be like Nadia and like not see it in your 40s yet. I got these (laughs) 11 right here. (laughs) (laughs) But the first signs people see is you start to lose a bit of that um, brightness that you used to have as a Mm. kid. You start to see a little dullness. You start to see a little change in um, texture. And then you start to see a little bit of the fine lines and and it goes from there. And so that's why I made these two products to really target those two areas.
0: Did you, um, when you were testing with groups of people, were you looking at like specific races, ages, gender? Like what were you looking for? And then what was like the feedback process like for you?
1: I recruited women in certain age groups uh certain psychographics meaning what was their approach to skincare mm-hmm. what did they use today what do they uh what was their um kind of shelfy is what the industry calls it you know like what is their bathroom shelf look like today oh interesting and the reason was because this product you know you to understand what it's about to understand that the ingredients need to be better and you should be using things like this. I wanted to make sure these were people who were kind of skincare involved, if you will. Sure. Already part of the kind of category and understood it a little bit. So I recruited for age and psychology, if you will, or psychographics that way. Um, I did not recruit for race specifically. It's just, you know, who I got was who I got. And yeah. And so then the feedback I was asking for was all, all of the things, you know, is it easy to put together? What did, what's the effect on your face? Things like that. Very cool.
3: You may not have looked at race, you know, as you were building the product, but now as you message and and go out and market the product, how do you think about you know you have to have models, you have to have uh, you know you, you have to do photo shoots uh, with you know with the effect on the product, and so how do you think about that? I know you know you're very involved in that process, and you're a solo founder. Tell me what that's like. Uh,
1: the way I think about it is, you want to communicate to people that this is for them, so you have to represent people that. When a, someone sees it, says, "Hey, that that looks like if it works for them, it could work for me," and that it's tough because as a solo, solo entrepreneur, you can't hire like six models. I mean, it's not cheap, mm. right? These it is, especially in a global pandemic yeah. where you need to keep everybody spaced <laughs> to take the <laughs> pictures, and they can't all just be you know grouped together in one shot. Right. Um, so oh. it is expensive, and so you have to make choices. I made choices it would be much easier to just pick one person, but there are challenges there, right? Whoever you pick, if they're a minority, uh, I think research shows that a lot of people will maybe look at that and think, well, that's not for me. Like the people in the majority may not think that's for them if the only picture out there is is a, a minority. You, it's easier to pick someone of the majority and hope it brings everyone else along, but I didn't want to just do that. I mean, I think um, we've, all seen. There's enough of that in the world and we need to, again, you know, be the change you want to see. And so I put the cost out there or put the, you know, added the cost to the budget to make sure that we had people of different skin tones um to make sure that people were represented. But that was a um philosophical choice, not a financial one.
0: Nisha, I'm always available to model and I'm I'm happy to try the product. I'm gonna I'm actually already on the website. So um happy to model Very amazing fun. thank you <laughs> i i will i will take you up on that you can you can instagram film i could do a whole tiktok series for you i will make your tiktok
3: yeah <laughs> you go ahead yeah pop. what is the what, what's the uh what, what what's been the biggest challenge in terms of just bringing the product to life like you know for from all the things that you've had to work on was it that timing issue of of launching your your Product uh, at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, do you think ultimately you'll look back and say that that was a positive thing? What's been the you know biggest hurdle overall in building the product and building the brand?
0: It's a
1: good question. I think the biggest hurdle is that I am one person, right? And so any one person, I mean, I think I'm fortunate where the skill sets that I bring to this job um, are very relevant because I run businesses before, I've been in new product development before, I understand skincare. So there's a lot. As an entrepreneur, that I know about this that most entrepreneurs don't know, you know, about necessarily what they're jumping into. So I was fortunate in that way. But at the same time, there's so many elements to figuring out the algorithm. You mm-hmm. know, the the world is now an algorithm. And the right. algorithm keeps changing. And, you know, the privacy rules keep changing. And the, you know, so there's a lot of things that need to be figured out. The retail, right? So you can reach out to retailers, try to get in front of them, but You know what happened to retail in the past two years? Like there's they are no longer what they used to be. And so I think just with the changing pace of the world between how you sell your product and maybe Rob, to your point, this is one of the things that is um, pandemic-based because a lot of things did really shift, especially with retail in the pandemic. But I think as one person, you essentially need a team to be focused on these things, to be experts and to figure these things out. The issue with having a team is funding. And so you kind of need money to Mm -hmm. build the team. I'm self-funding the business so far. So I'm entirely self-funding it. So, you know, if you think about what people deserve to get paid for jobs like that, like that's not coming out of my, you know, I don't have a lot of those pockets to just shell out salaries. So, you know, I think the biggest challenge is how, you know, everyone would tell an entrepreneur, keep as much equity as you can for as long as you can, you know, raise money when you, when you need to. Um, But you, in order to raise money, you need to show success and to show success, you need people to, to help you get that success. So it's Mm -hmm. just, it's a tough cycle of showing success with um, funding that you can access. Mm
3: -hmm. Right. Right. Would you seek uh, outside funding? And what are the markers that you're looking at to, to, to make that decision?
1: Yeah, I think what I'm doing in 2022, I'm actually very excited. I have some distinct um, plans of how I am essentially turning up my own funding in certain areas to prove out some key milestones. Um, and then with those milestones, going to seek outside funding, showing that, hey, look, we've we've gotten it to these key points, um, help fuel the growth even further. Mm-hmm. I think um, I might do a friends and family type round to help get to those key milestones. Um, but it's, it's a challenge, right? Because, uh, you want to hold on to as much as you can. Um, but you also don't want to suffocate the business. So I think in 2022, there'll probably be a friends and family round, um, trying to keep it small, but also, you know, that trying to figure out like. Weren't we always taught you're not supposed to take money from your friends mm-hmm. or your family? <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> yeah, there's literally yeah. around for friends yeah. and family, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so but I think I will be doing a friends and family and then um, seeking outside investment in 2023.
3: Very cool. Awesome. Awesome. We've had tons of traction and uh, and you've been a fantastic guest here. Uh, let's 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 go to our final couple of questions. Nadia, did you have a couple yeah, uh, questions absolutely. for Nisha? So,
0: yeah. So Nisha, we like to ask everyone this. Um What diversity, equity, and inclusion advice would you give um, to an entrepreneur who's entering in the startup space today? Sure. So I think it depends if they are someone who
1: may be a minority in the startup space, whether they be a racial minority or they're female. I would say that now is the time. Definitely go do the startup Mm -hmm. because. What I think as a minority, what people, we all know that you have to hustle, you have to work hard, you have to, you know, continue the grind. But what we all want is an opportunity to be treated and evaluated based on our capabilities, Mm -hmm. right? We want to say, we want the door to be a little open and we want to be able to show up and show you what we're capable of. And now the doors are open, right? So I think entrepreneurship tends to be, I think, much more of a flat playing field than maybe corporations that have, you know, different histories behind them. When you're out there and you're just making calls or you're, you know, meeting people, I find the entrepreneurial space to be, you know, much more open, much more inclusive. So I would encourage anyone who may be thinking about starting um, something who's in one of those groups to just go for it. That's awesome. I would say, If I were talking to someone who might be in the majority, you know, maybe they are a a white male and they are doing a startup. I think that I would advise, you know, most of the funding still today goes to people in, you know, from venture capital, et cetera, goes to people who are white male, white men. I think that is changing, but that's still what's happening today. Mm -hmm. So I think as if you're in that group with much power comes responsibility, right? So. As you are p- potentially getting that funding, how do you think about making sure your efforts are inclusive in who you're hiring, who you're bringing along, the vendors that you're hiring, the agencies that you're hiring? How do you make sure that you are keeping your efforts to be inclusive because you are the one who can bring a lot of that along with you? So I, I, that would be my advice, depending on who you are and where you're coming from. You know, if you're kind of in the minority group, go for it. The time is now. You know, if you're in the majority group, think about how you can bring along others with you. That's fantastic. I think
3: that's, I think the second part. So thank you for that, Nisha. That's awesome. Right. Um, And I think even if you are a white male and and if you're funding source, if you're working with a venture capitalist and you look across the table and it's a, it's a bunch of other white males, maybe you need to think about, you know, what kind of partner they'll be uh, as you start to think about these issues as well, right? And so, you know, demand not only demand that uh, the, the funding source is is diverse that you're you know that you're receiving, right? So I think that's, that's a, I think that's awesome uh, advice and, and way to think about it. Nisha Dearborn, thank you so much for being with us on the Inclusive Collective podcast, and uh, we'll look for your products and, uh, and and thank you for being here. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Nisha. This
1: is Nadia Rob. Thank you so much.
3: At Evernorth Health Services.
4: Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC Terms and Conditions apply.
3: Welcome back. So, Nadia, in this space, which we lovingly call Conversations, I've previously offered a kablam, and I think you had a wowza at one point. I had a
2: wowza, so, yeah. Nisha's
3: conversation <laughs> deserves like a kablam. Kowouser or something like that. Some, I think some, it's like a kow.
0: Co- com- I like that kowouser. Com- com- yeah, she was com- great.
3: combining two combining two of the uh, the terms that we've we've used so far. So so Nadia, you know, in this podcast, I usually you know we we don't necessarily know all the guests, and uh, I you know I, I roll in. You kind of tell me you know who we're talking to today, and and we just kind of right. just kind of go from there. Uh, oftentimes, that's not true, by the way. I made that no. up. But, uh, but, yeah, but, no, but but a- this <laughs> is but in this case. <laughs> But in this case, uh, this is someone that I've known for a long time. Nisha and I go way back and I really, you know, so the thing that I picked up as she went through this, I know her as a person to be very intentional in all that she's doing and all the choices that she makes. And I think that there were a ton of great things about, uh, that our listeners can take from our conversation about how intentional she was around developing her product around marketing is that some of the things that 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 you uh that you took away as well nadia and, and perhaps oh, you have some yeah. uh, some tips for our audience on how they can build inclusivity into their product uh, development and marketing as well
0: yeah absolutely I mean, it was glaring the intentionality um as being kind of that inclusive behavior that she practices nisha it was so evident that um, it, it was intentionality. And I link that to the role modeling, right? Like the action yep. around the intentions, because you can make an intention, but when you don't act or um, it just becomes then performative. And so her role modeling, um, kind of the uh, inclusive intentionality around who she's focusing on from market. Uh, ads and and market marketing mm-hmm. development and then also the environmentally con- unconsciousness that she brings to the table right so like using sustainable materials for her packaging and and just taking pride on that so i guess two tips that i or that i would offer is that role modeling and then you know more tactically what that would look like is like when you're focusing on making your marketing material like your social media your visual your graphics being really intentional that you um where you can appeal to a wider range of prospects and consumers and you do that with inclusive language and you can also do that by avoiding stereotypes and mm. avoiding cultural appropriation so being very clear about um your definitions again we talked about this with Anthony last week in our episode um being very clear about how you define diversity and then how you define inclusion um and and really Speaking to that value of um, role modeling and and marketing to particular groups or a wide range of people, but avoiding where you could very well be um, insulting someone or offending right. someone. Um, so, yeah, those are just that's just one tip that we could offer today.
3: Yeah, I just and, and and so she I think you mentioned a lot of these things and she said at this point when you're starting the company if you're not going to do what you want the way that you want it at that point, then when are you ever going to to do it, right? And so, you know, you hit a lot of the things that she was dealing with at the time, but issues of diversity, equity, inclusion were always remained at the forefront as she was building the product and starting to get it in front of, of consumers. And so uh, that's, uh, yeah, I had the same takeaway that, that you had as well. Yeah. That's it for this week's episode. The Inclusive Collective Podcast is a production of Refilion Media. If you like what you hear, please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback at www.refilion.com. And you can find us on Instagram at, at inclusivecollectivepodcast. I'm Rob Hadley.
0: And I'm Nadia Butt.
3: We'll see you next week.